From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm your host. On October 4th, the Supreme Court is set to hear Milligan v. Merrill, a case that would undermine Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. At question is Alabama's new congressional map, a map that underwent what is called racial gerrymandering, or racial redistricting, diluting Black Alabamans' voting power. The case's outcome will determine the future of voting rights in America. Joining us today are the plaintiff in the case, Shalila Dowdy, organizer, veteran, law student, and resident of Mobile, Alabama, and Davin Rossborough, senior staff attorney with the ACLU's Voting Rights Project, who is on the litigation team for the case. I am Shalila Dowdy. I am from Mobile, Alabama. Um, Mobile is my hometown. I am, I like to call myself a Renaissance woman. I do a lot of stuff. So um, I went to West Point for undergrad. So I'm a soldier, an activist, beauty queen, track coach. I just be out here doing the most. And um, right now my focus is on advocacy. That's the best introduction I've ever heard someone give us. So I want to talk to you about this Supreme Court case that you are now a plaintiff in. At the center of this case is the congressional district map in Alabama. I want to start by talking about Alabama and the people who live there. Before we get into the legal details, Alabama is your home. What did it feel like to see this map for the first time and to understand how it will impact the voting power of your community? Um, so yes, um, I've lived in Alabama, I was about to say my whole life, but until I was 18 and then I went to college and was in the army and then I came back home. So I knew, um, with the 2020 census comes the redrawing of the maps because of the reapportionment of the population, people move around. And so I knew what the map looked like beforehand and kind of like what the black population in the state was. And so I was a fellow in a fellowship with the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, where my goal was to educate the people on what redistricting is and also um, play a role in kind of informing our legislation on what the people wanted. So looking at our map beforehand, we have seven congressional districts. Only one of the districts was um, drawn in a way where a Black candidate could be elected. And so with one out of seven, that only gave the Black population of Alabama 14% of representation when we should have had um, two districts because our population, according to the 2026 census, is around 27% Black. So two districts, two out of eight. And so um, I knew what the maps looked like beforehand. I spoke at one of the public hearings in front of the state legislators that were a part of the redistricting committee. Um And so, honestly, you asked how I felt. When I saw the maps, I was not surprised. It just was a little disheartening to see that the voices of the people who did speak about the maps went unheard. Because the average person that spoke around the state of Alabama at the public hearings, everybody was advocating to make sure the Black vote did not get diluted, asking for a second Black district. And um, we saw the maps, and it's like as if it fell on deaf ears. So I was not surprised. I was just really disappointed. And you've been a political organizer for a number of years throughout Alabama. What can you tell us about the priorities of of Black Alabamans and 
are they being reflected currently in the state's politics? I would say it's not being reflected. Um, Medicaid expansion has not been approved in our state. And um, Alabama, compared to other states, we're we're behind. Um, and so you looking at the dynamics of our state leadership, it doesn't look like what our state looks like. Um, looking at the bills that are passed in um, our state house, it's not reflective of all of Alabamians. It's really only reflective of a certain percentage of Alabamians. And then when we go to what we look like in Congress, those who represent us in Congress and in the Senate, it's only one demographic. And, and, and from what the, the bills that are supported and how people are voting, it's not even it's not an even spread. It's as if the Black voters in Alabama voices are silenced. And why did you want to get involved in this case? I chose to get involved in this case because before the case became a thing, I was doing the work centered around redistricting. And I didn't see a lot of people in my area of the state doing their work. So I'm from Mobile. It's the lower part of the state. Um, The portions of our state that has a lot of organizing going on is typically Birmingham and Montgomery. And so... Seeing the, the the conversation around the 2020 census, seeing who showed up at our state public hearings about redistricting, I knew that, you know, I, I was knowledgeable. And so I have the time to be involved in my community. So I'm like, let me do this. Let me use my voice. Let me be an advocate while I have the time. So because of where I am in my life, um, I was like, well, 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 why not? And because we needed a we needed a plaintiff from every congressional district. So I represent the first congressional district. And so I had the time. I had the knowledge. Um, I could utilize my resources. And I was like, hey, let's put me sign me up for, for uh, to represent the first congressional district. I'm down. I'm ready. Shalila joined with other impacted black voters, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the ACLU of Alabama, other civil rights organizations in the area, and ACLU National to file a lawsuit to block Alabama's new congressional map from taking effect, claiming it violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, diluting Black voting power in the state. I sat down with Devin Rossborough, senior staff attorney at the ACLU's Voting Rights Project, to learn more about the case and the oral arguments set for October 4th. So... Devin, before we get into the nitty gritty of the legal case ahead of Milligan v. Merrill, I want to lay some historical groundwork. So I think when most of us think about protecting voting rights, we think about the Voting Rights Act of 1965. For those of us who might be a little unfamiliar with the VRA, can you give us a mini history lesson? I will do my best. Um, So... As you mentioned, Congress passed the Voting Rights Act of 1965 um, in response to persistent discrimination in all aspects of voting um, against particularly Black voters and particularly in the South, but all over, really, um, targeting different groups of voters of color. And um, it had several key provisions. One of them, which our case is about is Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which is basically a nationwide ban on racial discrimination in voting. Another one, another key provision, Section 4 and 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which basically said 
for jurisdictions, whether they're states as a whole or whether they're counties or cities that have had a pervasive history of racial discrimination in voting, before they made any change to voting practices or their districting maps, they had to go to either the federal Department of Justice or to um, a federal court to seek to what they call pre-clear those changes um, and basically get a sign-off that they did not push back or harm the voting rights of voters of color. So a lot of people, as you mentioned, are probably familiar with the Shelby County decision. That concerns Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, where um, this really important mechanism that covered a number of whole states, they would have to seek approval to pre-clear. And and what the Roberts Court um, ultimately said was, well, we're not saying that it's you can't ever do this, but your formula is out of date. It unfairly targets the South. And there's this equal sovereignty problem where you're treating different jurisdictions differently. And we think that there's constitutional problems with that. So we're wiping out the formula. So after 2013, all of these jurisdictions like Alabama, um, with these pervasive history of racial discrimination, didn't have to, they could make whatever changes they want without pre-approval. So this case concerns Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, correct? That's exactly right. Section 2 covers everywhere, all the whole country, all the states, all the different jurisdictions. And it basically says, you know, this was passed as a nationwide ban on discrimination in voting, which can concern voting practices, you know, things like, you know, cutbacks to polling places, photo ID laws, uh, restrictions on early voting, or um, what we would call um, vote dilution through redistricting, um, the way district lines are drawn to determine who uh, your representatives are. Um, and, and so, you know, that in the 1970s, there was more litigation around how district lines were drawn. So this, this, this was litigated over time. You're looking at impact to sort of get at intent, like just showing right. impact alone isn't really enough, but it's a way of acknowledging in all but the rarest cases, despite discrimination being at work, it's going to be really hard to prove that. Got it. And, and all of this is leading us to the case at hand, Milligan versus Merrill, which is also coming out of Alabama. Uh, what can you tell us about the details of this case? So Alabama's congressional map has, as Alabama actually says in their Supreme Court brief, has looked very similar to their congressional map since the early 1970s. Um, right around the time it was very much fighting uh, the implications of the Voting Rights Act. And so basically, um, Alabama has seven congressional districts. 27% of the population is Black. There are growing but still much smaller proportions of other groups of color. And white voters are still in the majority in Alabama. But white white Alabamians have been declining in population steadily over the past several decades. So from the 1970s and certainly before then, through like 1990, Alabama's maps were drawn such that Black voters were never able to elect a single candidate of choice across the seven congressional districts. Basically, and in particular, this this 
historic region in Alabama known as the Black Belt, which runs through Montgomery and Selma and has a longstanding history, has been what we call cracked into four different congressional districts. So in other words, lines drawn to minimize the influence of Black voters in any one district. In the early 1990s, there was a a lawsuit under the Voting Rights Act challenging this. And ultimately, there was a compromise made where um, a federal court approved a new map, which didn't really fix all of the underlying cracking, but it created one one majority Black congressional district, District 7, in which Black voters were finally able to elect a representative choice. Okay, okay, you get one. <laughs> That's just, exactly. And in the yeah. other districts, we're going to continue to keep the population because Alabama is very low, like 30% or under Black and all the rest of those districts still cracking the rest of the Black Belt, cracking the city of Montgomery into two or three different districts consistently, um, despite, you know, despite the ability to... Um, you know, d- despite basically the Black Belt being a, a, a community of interest, um, it's, it's cracked into all these different districts, like despite a lot of common culture, common problems um, across across that area. And so basically they did the same thing um, in this map, despite, again, a declining white population, um, they continue to crack the Black Belt. And their own words are really telling. They justified it. They said there's a common French-Spanish colonial heritage here. Um, so basically a common white ethnic heritage that they are prioritizing keeping together while cracking the Black Belt. They're hiding under some kind of like, oh, this is a culture we're trying to keep together and protect. And I think that's a facade. I, I think you're exactly right. And I think it's <laughs> telling that those two counties which are these the Gulf counties in Alabama, were not together in the same congressional district until, wait for it, right after 1970, when the Voting mm. Rights Act, the first cycle of the Voting Rights Act came into play. Um, then they unite these two majority white counties, which if they hadn't done that, the city of Mobile is majority black, but the county of Mobile is majority white. And Baldwin County is large majority white. So I think, yeah, you're, you're exactly getting at it there prioritizing this majority white community of interest and keeping that together at the expense of the most crucial, well-known community of interest in the state, the majority black, black belt. Right, right. Okay, so in 2021, we looked at the map, we identified the problems that you just have just described, and we got with our partners and we said, we can do something about this. So what did we do? Along with... Um, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, LDF, uh, a couple of law firm partners in the ACLU of Alabama, of course, National ACLU Voting Rights Project. We represented, we represent currently four individuals and two organizations who have members, Greater Birmingham Ministries and the NAACP of Alabama, and we sued uh, Alabama. So basically said, we have evidence here to show that we are very likely to win under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, that this is a racially dilutive districting plan because of the way it packs and cracks Black voters. And the court should step in and enjoin, stop these maps from going into place before the 2022 elections and make the state draw new maps. And if they don't do it, then 
you know, the court should do it. And so we presented um, a week and a half of evidence, uh, different witnesses, different experts, and these three judges um, found unanimously in an over 200-page opinion that this wasn't even a particularly close call, that Alabama had very clearly violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And then, of course, in a pattern that has played out consistently in voting cases over the last number of years, Alabama went directly to the Supreme Court and they sought what's called a stay. In other words, until the Supreme Court has a chance to fully consider everything and decide whether or not we're right, you should put this decision on hold and let us run our elections under the maps we passed. And in a five to four decision with actually Chief Justice Roberts joining us, the Supreme Court said, okay, we're going to put this case on hold. Chief Justice Roberts said, the plaintiffs here, us, they did prove under the current standard, under the standard we have laid out for years, they've proven a likely Voting Rights Act violation. So I would keep this injunction in place and make them draw new maps. I also think, what Chief Justice Roberts said, that there's confusion in the standard. So he said, I would take this case to then actually hear it on the merits. And then you have Justice Kavanaugh saying, well, I'm not so sure under the current standard, but, uh, and this is, I think this is too close to the election. Um, This idea you might've heard about called the Purcell principle, which is ever expanding um, despite being four months to the next election. I think this is too close. This isn't clear cut. And so we're going to stay this and we're going to take up the case fully and, and hear the case. So basically, um, despite the district court's decision, um, you know, uh, finding a likely violation, we're going to allow this map to go into effect in 2022. All of this happened, all of the Supreme Court activity happened under what we call the shadow docket, which is kind of hidden. It's not going to make huge headlines. We're not going to read these big opinions where we really are going to under be able to understand everything that the court is thinking. Um, and I think, you know, more and more activity that we have become concerned about has happened in uh, under the shadow docket um, in recent years. Uh, what did you make of this move by the Supreme Court to say, hey, we're actually going to take up this case now and hear it on the merits. Did that make you nervous? Well, I mean, it, it was un- it's unfortunate um, for a couple of reasons, I think. Number one, of course, the shadow docket and this ever-expanding Purcell principle of despite findings that laws are likely violate the Voting Rights Act or unconstitutional, we're going to let them play out because of some vague speculation that it might confuse election officials or voters. Um, Now, granted, there might be some situations where that could be actually borne out, but the record certainly did not bear it out here. There was plenty of time and place to draw new maps, um, and the state was being afforded the first opportunity to do so. So it's very disappointing, and it's not the first case this has happened um, under the shadow docket where basically there's no argument, briefing plays out over the course of about a week, and then there's a decision without much explanation at all. 
And so it's it's discouraging. It's 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 tough to hear, particularly for your clients who fought so hard for this. Um, that despite the victory we had, that it's going to be stayed. In terms of the court deciding to accept the case, um, yeah, we would have preferred that the Supreme Court did not take this case because, you know, Alabama, in, in their argument to try to get the Supreme Court to take this case, advanced some very radical arguments um, that would remake Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And so, um, you know... What were those radical arguments? Well, we have to prove that their districting plan was unexplainable on any basis other than race. They're saying we should take race out of it completely. And so we should compare this just purely like um, demonstrative map that we have to draw to show like, here's an example of how we could redraw the districts in a way that still comport with, um, you know, reasonable districting principles. Like we're not drawing crazy looking districts here that would afford black voters greater representation. So they say, okay, we should compare the plaintiff's map to a map that doesn't consider race at all. And they claim that that's their map, which is not true. The Supreme Court could still say, we don't think you all win. You need to go back and work under this different standard and it not be that radical of a change. But if they adopt Alabama's arguments, then you are going, you know, I think you are very likely to see not only no new opportunities for voters of color in areas where the Voting Rights Act should protect them, you know, it could lock in place current maps, but it could also allow states to eliminate existing districts um, because those race-neutral maps don't take into account um, a lot and, and, you know, could eliminate existing districts. And so it's a very dangerous standard. While this case is really nitty-gritty and weedy, as we've discussed, the implications on real people's lives and their futures are extreme. Um, and, and, and it's not just drawing lines on maps. It's actually the lived experience of people in these different communities will change or could change um, based on this kind of a decision. And I think that's really important to note just because I think that voting rights can feel really far from the lived experience of actual people, which is why it's so, you know, I think it's so important that we've uh, stepped up to represent a group of plaintiffs who have largely been rallying and organizing in their communities to get out the Black vote. What can you tell us about the plaintiffs that we are representing and, you know, why that's important to us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really at the heart of this um, and and really is what should give everyone at least some hope. Folks like our plaintiffs, um, both the organizations, um, Greater Birmingham Ministries and NAACP of Alabama, and our, our individual plaintiffs, um, Evan Milligan, Letitia Jackson, Shalila Dowdy, Kadita Stone, these are individuals who are pushing against these headwinds um, and seeking to organize their communities. And, and I mean, the consequences are, are significant. So, um, you know, take um, a couple of our plaintiffs, um, Evan Milligan, 
Fadita Stone, they both live in Montgomery. And it has consistently been divided among two or three different congressional districts, lines running right through the middle of the city. And so they both live on one side of the line and they have a representative right now who, you know, they don't believe is representing the interests of Black Alabamians, um, Black Montgomerians. So um, if if this problem is fixed through congressional maps, they will have the opportunity to elect a, re- a, a representative more responsive to the needs of the community there. And, and you know, through all of these headwinds, folks like our clients are continuing to organize, but we can't, of course, just depend on them to, to out-organize as, as um, I, I, you know, someone said, and I, I apologize, I don't have the attribution here. We can't depend on on folks to out-organize racist laws. They are an example of the determination that, that keeps this fight going, but we also need to the Supreme Court to recognize that, you know, Congress meant this to be a powerful weapon against pervasive racial discrimination. And if it takes away that tool, um, you know, that the consequences would be significant. I do hear on a consistent basis, oh, I'm not going to vote. My vote doesn't matter. Nothing changes. Um, But I always take it back to um, where we've come from and where we are now. And somebody had to fight then for us to get at least where we are now. For Shalila, looking to history is what keeps certain that this fight matters and gives her the energy for the long haul. We should not be comfortable because the playing field is not even right now. And that we do have to continue to fight because if we don't, we stay stagnant and we stay where we are. So being able to make them Think about where we came from. And so Alabama's leading the way in this redistricting um, black di- black vote dilution cause. But Alabama kind of led the way in voting rights back in the day. The voting right. I don't think there's a voting rights museum anywhere in America except for in Selma. Bloody Sunday. They were literally trying to cross a bridge to go register to vote, to walk 40 miles, 40 to 50 miles to register to vote, to start the walk. They weren't even trying to just vote at that point. And so what I try to do is talk about these voter suppression laws that are being passed across the country. If your vote wasn't powerful, a certain demographic would not be trying to stop you from voting or they would not be trying to make it harder for you to vote. So Georgia passed their laws where if you are giving somebody water or drinks in line, then you um, could be a... find a fee or you can be charged with something. I don't know if it's a misdemeanor or whatever. But so if my mother's in line or not my mother, if I have, if I have a family member in Georgia in line and they're like, hey, go to the store and give me some water. And I go bring my mother some water. Apparently I committed a crime in Georgia and that's ridiculous. And so I know people that stood in line for eight hours to vote. And they I think they were voting early in Georgia when they stood in line for eight hours. They brought chairs because they knew what was up. Because in the black communities, they don't have as many voting machines. The voting machines go down because they want to encourage you to not want to vote. And so um, I just talk about where we've been, where we're going. And hey, if if voting wasn't important, they wouldn't be trying to stop you. They wouldn't be making it harder for you to vote. Simple as that. (laughs) It is. It is. It really is. I want to talk about the impact of, of this case. Are you concerned? Um, given the overturning of Roe versus Wade, <laughs> you know, 
and women reproductive rights being under attack, um, I would I would say I would be foolish not to be concerned. Like you know, I, I some you know some people are optimistic, but I I'm personally a realist, so um, I just I'm going into this with the mindset set of you know don't be surprised if the fight must continue. Don't be don't be surprised if if we must continue to fight, um, because you know history repeats repeats itself. Um, there are women alive who fought for women to be able to make their own decisions when it comes to their reproductive rights, and then those women are still alive right now to see that those rights have been taken away. And so sometimes history repeats itself. Sometimes we slide back, and so um, I am concerned. Amen. I feel that too. I think a lot of us do. Shalila, this has been such a pleasure speaking with you. Likewise. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about or touch on that we haven't discussed yet? Um, I just want to talk about that even though this case is centered around Alabama, I think that minorities, Black people, and those who are who are those who consider themselves to be allies of us, um, we all need to be amplifying this case sharing anything we see online about it because people don't know that it's going on. Just have the conversation. Make a video. Hey, y'all, y'all know this is happening. Black people are fighting for another district in Alabama. You don't have to be, um, you have to use big words to talk about it. Just talk about Black people only got one district and they want another one. Simple as that. Um, and it's it's more complex than that, you know. It's about representation and about who's going to vote and care about not only just the Black citizens, but all their citizens in their in their areas. So I just think we need to be having the conversation about the case um, and, and keeping it in the spotlight. Thank you. Thanks so much to Shalila Dowdy and Davin Rasborough for joining us. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. Until next week, stay strong.